Look alive, sunshine. The question is not when you're gonna stop, but who is gonna stop you. The electric centaur, the democrat, the revolution will not be televised. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Grindhouse Podcast. And today I have joining me one of our frequent collaborators, Mr. Jude S. Waco. How's it going? I've been called a lot of things, but I don't know if frequent collaborator has been one of them. Well, it's because no one can stand to work with you more. Than <laughs> That's right. Somehow I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> yep. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had you on the show a ton of times. And um, we always get to talk about some really interesting things, including pulling the curtain back and talking about some of the technical aspects of filmmaking, and in particular indie filmmaking. But today, I wanted to talk about something that I don't think we've really got into in depth, and that is your first uh, feature film as a director, The Incantation. Mm-hmm. But, 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 you know, like we've talked about Shark Island and your experience in making that, and we've probably even talked about this, the experience making uh, Incantation from a, from a logistical standpoint. But just to catch everyone up, like... What was the what was the the nexus of the incantation going from an idea in your brain to on screen? Well, I gotta say, I have a beautiful mind. First off, stay <laughs> <laughs> so, humble. So if you if you've seen that movie with Russell Crowe, Beautiful Mind, isn't Russell Crowe? Uh, yes, yeah, that's the way my mind works. It's all over the place, but there's some really gold tidbits in there. So I guess the incantation. Um, because I sort of had free reign with writing it other than we knew we knew the location was a castle. We knew it was in France. But other than that, uh, you know, it, it was pretty much I could do anything. And to me, that was such a, a wide berth, so to speak, that I, um, uh, you know, it was hard to narrow down what I wanted to. And we were under a little bit of a timeline. So it was like, um, you know, there's so many stories to tell. What can I tell? But I had always wanted to shoot the castle. So anyways... Uh, I, I guess it's it's a culmination of my entire life. I, I was in the seminary for six years during my formative years right. in high school and some of college. I was raised a Catholic, so tons of imagery and uh, signs and all kinds of stuff there. And then as I got older... I uh, my wife is Thai, so for the last twenty years I've been in Thailand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of Eastern philosophy imagery and a lot of religious stuff. And then you know my favorite holidays are Halloween and Christmas. So there's a lot right. of pagan stuff and that, iconography. Yeah, iconography, all that stuff. So I guess it's an amalgamation. If I'm to use my vicar of Borley words, vicar please. <laughs> it's an amalgamation of all of that combined, and then. Um, and then the story particularly was sort of birthed out of a song that I heard when I, when, when I was, um, uh, writing the script and that, that song for some reason, which is called, um, Blood Red Roses, you can check it out Mm -hmm. on YouTube. It's by C21 effects. I think their, their official name is, but anyway, um, that song unlocked a sort of, uh, tsunami of, Ideas that that started bringing all of this religious aspect, some old, uh, some old, um, what do you call them, uh, legends and folklore that I had known, and 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 once I 
got this idea of a little girl, like a lot, the lost innocence of a little girl. That's kind of the seedling, and then the rest just blossom from there. Right. So just to recap, people, if you haven't seen the movie before, the general premise is that a, a young 20-something, late teen uh, American, uh, bubblegum princess is, I believe, a term I've heard <laughs> you use often, uh, is called to France when, when one of her great uncles passes away. And she's meant to meet her mom there to go over the funeral procession and, and I guess, uh, handle some of the logistics, maybe. And while she's there, she comes across a creepy vicar who looks sort of like Rasputin, Mm -hmm. played by you. Yeah. Because apparently you didn't have enough jobs on that movie. (laughs) Right. And uh, a young grave digger, a young French grave digger. And a lot of creepy stuff happens in this castle Mm -hmm. with uh, roots uh, in a sword pass in a small town. Yeah. So... um, I guess to start with, one of the things that really stuck out at me thematically is this idea that uh, life is for the living. Mm-hmm. And I was curious if you were familiar with the terminology of the true world theory. No, I'm not. So once I, once I explain, I think you'll, you'll get it right away. So there's um, – you're familiar with like Nietzsche saying that God is dead, correct? Yeah. Okay. So part of the reason why he said that and part of what that culminates to is that uh, leading up to that time, there was the most prevalently the, the true world theory, which is that this world is an imperfect world mm-hmm. and that there is another world on another existence that is a perfect world. It's the true world, right? Mm-hmm. This is sort of like um, – you you hear in in a lot of like Christian sermons, right? Like this world is not ours, or we're just passing through. You've heard that phrase before, lots of times. It's an idea that that is obviously exists predominantly in Christianity and the Abrahamic religions, but maybe even in some of the Eastern ones as well. Whereas that this physical plane of existence doesn't actually belong to us. Mm-hmm. It's a temporary condition, mm-hmm. and that the true world exists on another plane of existence, right? Yeah. Um, around the time that Nietzsche said that God is dead, the, the idea behind that was that, that with the advent of science and with um, psychoanalysis and things of that nature, philosophy was shifting away from this true world theory to a one world theory, which is that it's just this world. This mm. is all we have, right? Yep. And I found that that was really echoed in Abel Baden's, who's played by Dean Cain's Pitch to Lucy, when he's sort of talking about what if you only had this one life? Yep. What was it about that idea? Like where did that – because to me that's like a big, big theme of – of um, one of the big themes of this movie, right? Yeah. Uh, and it certainly is the catalyst for the main theme, which is what – you know, choosing your true nature, which we'll get into in a moment. What was it about that philosophy that inspired you to write it into the script? Okay, so first of all, you mentioned Abel Baden. So e- even that name there, that name is symbolic. So his name is, he, I named him Abel Baden because I'm sure I'm pronouncing this wrong, but there's a word, Abaden, A-Baden, uh-huh. uh, which is uh, a Greek, uh, it's a Hebrew word because back in Jesus' day, they'd sp- they spoke Aramaic, which is like old Hebrew. Right? right. My name, in fact, is Jude, means praise one from from Aramaic, which is what they believe Jesus spoke, even pri- prior to Hebrew being spoken. Right. Aramaic. Right. So, uh, Abel Baden, Abaden, uh, and then there's a Greek word, Apollon, which is inter- interchangeable with Abaden. And that means the angel of abyss or the place of destruction. Mm. So, Abaden's name is 
that's what it means, right? It's sort of like I'm a big Avicii fan, and Avicii named himself Avicii after like the darkest, lowest depth of hell, basically. So right. It's it's based on that because that's where he went with with his depression, and that's what he was trying to battle. So he felt he'd embrace it. Blah blah blah. So Abaddon means that. So Abaddon is essentially the devil. He's a me- he's a messenger, right? So when you get into this, uh, the one world theory. A lot of it, there's a, there's a good speech by Abel Baden at the dinner table by Dean Cain, and he's basically saying, what if you had no consequences in life? What if morals didn't exist? Mm-hmm. That's a made-up thing. What if, they, what if they don't exist? Maybe, uh, maybe I can go, you know, have sex with the turtle, and I'm fine with that. Like, who's to tell me that's right or wrong, right? Right. So he's, he's basically saying that. If that didn't exist, your only enemy would be death itself. You could do whatever you want while you're living. You could kill people. You could rape people. You could do whatever you want. There's no consequence because there's no heaven or hell. It's only what you're living right now. Right. And how liberating, this is his speech, you know, paraphrasing his speech. How liberating would it be to not have those shackles? Right. So I could be a serial killer. And if the only thing in my mind telling me is a law, but who cares? As long as I don't get caught then I'm fine. I, I'm not breaking any laws. If you don't catch me, I'm not guilty, right? Sure. And then also, in your, if, if personality-wise, if you don't have morals, if there's no moral code, and if it's not wrong to kill a person in your belief system, then, then fucking live it up. It's hedonism. Like, do whatever you want, right? Like, right, because there's no, there's no overarching governing body yeah, there's no, over your morality. Exactly, which gets us the whole thing of the whole concept of Satan in Christianity, right, is that he was kicked out of heaven. He was an, he was one of the best angels. He's one of God's greatest angels. He's his right-hand man um, until he starts to rebel. And he says, you know what? Why do I have to live by your rules? Fuck it. You know, I'm going to eat the, I'm going to eat the apple. I'm going to give it to Adam and Eve, whatever. Like, who are you to tell me what to do? I'm, I'm an angelic being too. Right. It's, it's, it's rebelling against your father, right? Mm-hmm. So, that's what the devil's saying. That's what Abel Baden is saying. That's what the devil's saying. Live for the moment. Like, he's saying, embrace your life right now. Like, right. What, like, if you get pleasure out of doing whatever that thing is that everyone else else is bad, then do it. Like, who, who cares? You don't have to answer to God. Maybe when you die, in the nihilist sense, the nihilist sense, everything's gone. I was going to say, there is a quite a bit of nihilism in that philosophy that Abel Baden has that uh, nothing, no, there is no meaning but what you put into it. Right. And that there is no, con- and, and to take it further from his perspective, that there's no, um, that there's no, not only just no meaning, but there's no consequence except, I guess, if you, if someone enforces, if someone forces it upon you. Yeah. But there's no, like, uh, universal consequence. Right. And and his, uh, his hidden agenda, as you find out in the movie, is he's, Sort of trying to come over, get her to come over to the dark side, which which our tagline is, um, do not deny your true nature. So basically, he's he's prepping her. This is one of the very first, in the first act of the, of the movie, he's prepping her, and he's trying to say, you know, get rid of all those, all those uh, things you thought were holding you back. Like, forget about sins. Forget about laws. Just think about the moment right now. Feel good in the moment. And at the end of that speech, he says... Death is your only enemy. So maybe once you die, it's all gone for you. So what? What's the best thing to do? Have be immortal. Right. You know? What can you? What can we help you do to make you be immortal so that you can live this life of doing whatever the hell you want? And that eventually plays into the whole theme of the movie, which is wealth, power, riches, hedonism, all the deadly sin, Agreed. all the seven cardinal sins, deadly sins, greed, lust, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
you can have all those things if if no one's if no one can stop you. Like if if morality is your only litmus test, who says morality exists? Maybe it doesn't exist. Right now, do uh, does Mary, who is the chambermaid in your movie, mm-hmm. does she and the vicar do they hold a similar philosophy, or is this because there's a little bit of conflict mm-hmm. on the underlying between the three of them? Like they're all on the same team, kinda. Yeah, but they don't totally seem as though they are. Um, perfectly aligned or maybe it's because of their philosophies that they never could be yeah so i think um they were they were birthed out of the roman catholic philosophy of the holy trinity right right so the vicar is the holy father god the father um uh abel baden is the son which is jesus mm-hmm. or lucifer and in, in, on the on the flip side of it right the dark side of it right um and then the the female is the holy spirit Right, so that's the Holy Trinity in, in Catholicism. You got those three no matter what. So they're they're the antithesis of those three things, right? So um, I wanted to make them though, although they're they're spirits or ideas or symbols or whatever you want to call them, they're probably not real people, but I wanted to make them human because part of this whole concept is that um, Humans are flawed. Right. Humans have sins. Humans have emotions and anger. So I think it's cool to take these spiritual beings and have them fight like humans. So it's been, right. So like you, you hear a lot of it. Like the victor's old school. He's sexist. He's probably all the ist that you hate. Yeah, right. Because he talks about the woman. There's one speech where he says, I'm, I'm not going to let a woman or a child take over my kingdom type thing. He's very egocentric kind of character. Which which is funny because from probably from his perspective, Mary and Abel would be a woman and a child. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Oh, that, it gets way deeper than that when you get into the uh, the third act. But, but yes, um, he and then and then Abel Baden, of course, is Lucifer. So he's the rebelling son, and he has a scene where he's like, "Whatever, Vicar, this is this is your game, man. This is always has been." Yeah. So he's like pissed off at the dad, and then and then the mom, or not the mom, the the female, the Holy Spirit. She's sort of if if anyone could be normal or have some sort of calming thing, she's like the mediator. So you hear her say things like Abel Abel starts pressing Lucy. And pushes her too far, you know. It's like right. it's like Darth Vader saying, "Come over to the dark side." Come over, and she's she's like, "Hey, hold on a second. We're gonna have to nurse her into this." And there's another scene where she says, um, "She's like, she's not ready yet." We get, you know, last time we learned the hard way, the waxing and the waning of the moon. We push somebody into it. She's implying we push somebody too hard and it didn't work out. Right. And then Abel also says to the vicar, "Hey, we know this." This one's going to be hard. We always knew that she's not just going to turn on, flip on a dime like that. And the vicar doesn't care. He's like, get the job done. I don't give a shit. Like, bring bring her to the dark side, right? Um, so there's all this infighting, and it makes them human, which um, which is cool because they're they're they, that's their true nature. They're becoming the thing that they don't want to be. They're a reflection of the thing they hate. They probably as spiritual beings hate humans but they're so petty they can't help it they can't help getting these right. little, these little fights with each other so i thought that's that's why they have an interesting dynamic like that well and it's great too because um using your catholic upbringing and 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 the sort of mythology around that and creating three characters that both represent the holy trinity but also in a very upside down way yes. um it seems that like not only I mean, there's so many layers to that. Not only, obviously, does the vicar represent, like, the father, and like you said, Abel, the son, and, and Mary, the Holy Spirit. Um, but 
and not only do they fight, are they very humanistic in their behaviors, but there's also a very um, uncomfortable, unnerving sexuality that flows between the three of them. Yes. Um, you know, you, you sort of a slip of the tongue mentioned that Mary sort of acts as like a something of a motherly figure. Yeah. Whether or not... Um, you know, if you look at sort of a, if you look at, for example, um, Greek mythology, right? Certain certain gods were born from, um, you know, casting genitals into the sea, and up pops Aphrodite, or I do you know, that on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> or like in Egyptian mythology, Horus was uh, again he was his father was killed, and his mother took all of her body parts, all of his body parts except for his his penis. And fastened a new one for him to impregnate her to give birth to her son Horus. Like you see within a lot of even even in Christianity, right? Mary was born of the Virgin, mm-hmm. and all that. So you see where like characters can be motherly, even if they don't necessarily, even if it's not the traditional way that we think of it. Yeah. So if Mary has, even by her namesake, has something of a motherly role in this family, so to speak. Yeah. She's also constantly looking at him like she wants to jump on Superman's bones. I mean, can you blame her? He's Superman. He's well, if you get on Twitter, you can. <laughs> <laughs> He's only got one kryptonite, and that's his beliefs. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. was that intentional to have like sexual, to, like to create this upside down family dynamic that represents yeah. sort of the holy family, Absolutely. but also have a, a sexual tension through it? Hundred percent. So here's the backstory. A lot of backstory in this film. Again. My mind, my beautiful mind, <laughs> takes. I, I take things that you know. I'm I'm going to be 48 uh, very soon, so I take all these things I've learned or maybe even heard of subconsciously, and I bring them together, and and I create my own reality out of that. Right. So, um, the Borley part of it. So I'll give give your listeners a little background to that. So there's this place. I'll probably get it wrong because again I'm going off of memory. I tried to refresh some of my stu- my notes, but anyways, there's this place. I think it's called the Borley um, Sanctuary or something like that. Back in the day, let me pull out my notes here. So, okay, so I always call that Borley's Grove, right? So uh-huh. I wrote a, a different script called um, uh, Villa of Borley's Grove. The here the vicar is called the vicar of Borley. Mm-hmm. So that's based on this place. That's a real place in England. One, one allegedly one of the most haunted places in all of uh, England, right? And the backstory to that is that in I believe it was 1362, it was a Benedictine uh, monk uh, monastery, okay. right? And what happened there was one of the monks had sex with one of the nuns. Or whatever they called them back then. I'm right. just using current terms. So a monk had sex with a with a nun. Cut to, you know, quote unquote modern day England, fourteen hundreds or whatever, a priest or a vicar as they call them in, in a lot of Europe, does the same thing on the same grounds. Mm. Um and shit goes crazy. So in my story, in in my that's part that's a backstory that's semi based in historical facts right in my backstory so that is based on that same story so let's say the, the vicar so in, in some plot spoilers here but let's say the vicar and Abel Baden and Mary they can go they they can go across generations they're timeless right they're right. they're spirits they're not they don't they're not finite to our world they're they're guides to their world um 
So, that being said, in a former life or two or three or four or five ago, um, the vicar, who's like the head rector of the, the entire town, he, she even says he's the only one ordained in the whole parish. Right. He's the main dude for this area. Um, has sex with a nun. Okay. They ha- he impregnates her. They don't want anyone to know, A, that they're having sex, B, that she's pregnant. So what do they do? They abort it. Right. They have to do this in secrecy. Right. So they kill the child. They kill an innocent child. So right away, you have greed, lust, murder. You know, they're, they're doing this for themselves. They're keeping it a secret. They're lying. They're breaking their vows. They're killing an innocent child. Abortion and Catholic, you know, right. is like the number one enemy of Catholicism in their minds. So you got all these things. So... There's a, there's a scene in the bar where this drunk guy comes up and he's like, that's a triple cardinal sin and da-da-da. So basically in our story, this happens maybe three or four generations ago. The locals find out about it. They've aborted this child. So they burn him at the stake. Mm-hmm. They, they kill the, the, the vicar and the, and the nun. Who right. was they were never supposed to have sex. And they burn him at the stake. And that's sort of the birth of, in this, in, in this story... It's sort of like, let's call it the opening of Hell's Gates. It's like so many sins all at once that it, it curses this place with evil forever. Right. So that's the portal that's been open. Or finally, you know, let's say in this <laughs> other world, the devil's like, oh, these are my peeps. They got me. Right, right. These, these people I can trust in. Let me, let me make them my ambassadors. So, so, they, so basically that's what happens. So this particular area becomes um, steeped in sin. And then, so then I took the, there's more historical stuff. There's a thing called the Valais Witch Trials that started up in Switzerland in the, in the 1400s. It's very similar to, uh, I'm going to go all over the place here. <laughs> it's very similar to our Salem Witch Trials, which happened right. in the uh, 1600s or 1800s. I can't remember. I went to Salem. It was awesome. But anyway, it's all, it was all based on, on hearsay. Like none of it was real. It was basically like, oh, you know. Mary is talking shit about some guy in power, so she must be a witch. And you know what? I've seen her stay up late at night, and she walks out in the woods by herself, and she picks mushrooms, so she's got to be evil. And then that just compounds and compounds and compounds, um, which is where we got the term witch hunt, because then now you just start you just start blaming people for whatever. Whatever, yeah, right. Whatever. And then and then it's, it's not provable because, like, for example, um, they would put a... Just one example. There's hundreds of examples online, both in valet witch trials and in the Salem witch trials. One in valet was like, we'll put a we'll put a salve on the chair, and if they can fly, then you know they then they're probably um, they can they can break the they can break the salve or whatever. Right. And in and in in Salem, they used to hit them with hot pokers, and they would say, if this doesn't make you burn or bleed, then you then then you're holy. You're fine. But right. You, but, but of course, the, the great irony of it is, is that in order to pass most of these tests, yeah. it's proving that you're a witch. And if you, if sorry, yeah. if you fail these tests, yeah. they prove you're a witch. Yeah. And if you pass these tests, you die yeah. Yeah, or, exactly. or go through extraordinary yeah. uh, pain. So it's yeah. a lose-lose situation. Yeah, that's what they do. They would purposely build them that way. And and in and in Salem, they hung a bunch of people. They crushed one dude to death. In Valais, they burned him at the stake. So anyways, that's that's the backstory of this whole thing, of, of this of this generation, these this Bellarose clan, which you also hear in the beginning, you hear the gravedigger JP sort of tell a story, which is a fake story, but it has this sort of fairy tale built into it of of how um, how sin was cast upon this area, 
Right. In that in that story, it was a, a king who lusted after a young girl, um, and he wanted her to be his bride. The he stole her from the farmer. Uh, the the mother kills herself, and then the daughter gets killed, and it's just the farmer and the king left. The king uh, betroths him the title of count, and and where he's buried his daughter and his uh, wife, blood red roses start to grow up out of the ground. Hence, the Count de Song, um, blood red rose, which was where Lucy's great 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 whatever 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 right. So that 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 evil, that lust, that pride, that murder that happened there again in the same area in our fictional world was the birthplace of sin opening up to this area. Right. And so you combine all that. You combine uh you combine the local sins, you combine the folklore of the ballet, rich trials which went from Switzerland all the way down to France where our story takes place. You invite you you combine Catholicism and all that. You throw it all together in a modern story, and that's where we're at. What's interesting is that obviously because this is a horror film, you tend to have good guys and bad guys of some degree. Yeah. Um, but what I find really fascinating is that part it, based on sort of the origins of where all these stories began, it feels like, um, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like. The townspeople were the initial bad ones. Yeah. And then the people who were just sort of indulging in normal humanistic urges and desires outside of the um, oppression of more uh, Puritan values yeah. were so damaged and, and uh, um, you know, uh, a reputation was cast upon them as something demonic and evil because... They happen to fall in love and have sex, right? Yeah, and, uh, and which is a very natural, natural human urge and desire yeah. that we all have. Yeah. And because of that, they just said, "Fuck it, I'll just be evil." Then, if you're gonna call me evil, right, then I'll be real evil, right? Which, which is again goes back to the whole rebellion, the whole Satanism thing. Like, like, yeah. Again, I'm evil in your mind, so you know it's it's back to Abel Baden. I'm only evil because you said I was evil. If I'm fine with it, cool. Because I think I'm actually, if I'm that priest and that nun, we're just having a, a love affair. We fell in love. Right. We were stuck in a, the same place for whatever, 10, 20 years. Of course we're going to fall in love. We're not allowed to have sex. That's That goes against human nature. So don't deny your true nature. Right. So, okay, let's go have sex. Well, we had a kid. Well, guess what? When you have sex, you have a kid. Oh, shit. You know, like all of a sudden we're, we're the devil now. You know, that's the whole thing. It's like this rebellion against what... The status quo of good and evil is. Who are you to tell me that I can't have sex with a woman that I'm shacked up with for ten years? Right, right, exactly. And and that brings us to sort of the next sort of main, it really maybe the main theme, but it's really springboards off this idea that this this world is the only world that we have, right? And that's um, don't deny your true nature, right? This idea yeah. of whatever it is that you are. You are, and it's neither good nor bad. Right, and I and that's interesting as well because if you look, uh, you know, I mentioned Nietzsche earlier. He, uh, when he when he said God is dead, he he expected humanity to move into a, a nihilistic period where there is no meaning to anything. Yeah. Right, just kind of like what Abel is like. Yeah, there's no meaning, nothing matters. Yeah, and then the idea is that they're supposed to move into a post nihilism state, where is that um, the meaning doesn't come from supernatural. Or from heavenly forces, but in fact, 
you know, from the perspective of Nietzsche, it's like you follow your uh, your your will, right? The power of will. Yeah. Whatever it is that you and people misinterpret that, I think, in a lot of ways, where they think it means like do whatever you want, yeah. which is more like able. This is more like the nihilistic thing, but it's actually more find that thing that you're great at. Yeah. And be and constantly strive to be better at it. Yeah. So if you're a filmmaker, put yourself in positions where you're. Uh, you can be embarrassed, you can be criticized, you can be exhausted, whatever it may be, yeah. so that you can ever continuously sharpen your skills, yeah. right? If you look at uh, the teachings of Aleister Crowley, it would be do as thou wilt, right? Which is find your true will, try and tr- find your true nature. Much yeah. like the characters in your movie, yeah. Aleister Crowley was called in the British tabloids, the wickedest man in the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, much like your your characters, it seems to be like when you watch when you can find documentaries on him that aren't like very very slanted that are just sort of presenting the issues, both good and bad, which there are to him. Yeah. It seemed like his biggest crime was being bisexual, mm-hmm. right? And 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 being sexual in nature in his yeah. bisexuality. So where where was that coming from? Was this uh, as far as a theme in your movie, were you drawing from any of those influences, or is this almost more drawing from your your um, your Catholic upbringing and being in the seminary and being around those very restrictive rules yeah. that you're ex- that's expected of you, especially if you're going into the priesthood? Yeah. And is in fact this movie your own act of rebellion? To those, to those philosophies that you grew up with. <laughs> well, my whole life is an act of rebellion to <laughs> that. But uh, yeah, essentially, so you touched on a lot of stuff there. So um, do not deny your true nature. So, so, so basically, if, you're go- if you go to Eastern philosophy like Buddhism, right, they're basically – the theory in Buddhism is there, there are no rules – it's not even considered a religion by a lot of people. It's a philosophy. And it's basically like this: your time on earth right now in the present is what's happening. You're, you're given that time and you can do what you want with it, good or bad. They're not saying – there's no rules like in Catholicism where if you kill somebody, this happens or this is right. 10 Hail Marys and this isn't our father and this is 12 to 20 years prison in, in whatever rules you're abiding by, right? It's basically like if you do good stuff, good stuff will happen to you. If you do bad stuff, bad stuff will happen to you, uh, probably 10 or 1,000-fold. So keep that in mind. But if you want to do it, do it. If you want to go kill somebody, do so, Do it. And, and also know that the, the whole purpose of Buddhism is to get rid of suffering, get, get shed suffering in your life. So the more bad stuff you do, the more suffering is going to happen to you. That's just a consequence. It's fine if you want to do it. Now, they believe in reincarnation. So you come back a hundred, a thousand, hundred, 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 hundred thousand times. And you can go up and down that scale from being the lowest cockroach to being an enlightened god, right? You you can choose on that scale. But it's your choice. So, um, so that's, that's basically what what uh, the, the theme of the movie is saying. So ours is, of course, a horror movie. So we try to make it dark. We play on stereotypes. In our movie, witches are bad. Pagans are bad. Pagan rituals, mm-hmm. which is not true at all. But we play on that for the horror, for the horror genre. Sure. Know? Vampires and And, and it certainly, is, I would say, uh, from a certain perspective, because 
you know, I, I think this is always the great thing about art, right? You can watch the movie and you can agree with whatever character yeah. you want. Certainly to the townspeople, they're bad. Right. And, yeah, yeah. and certainly if you were to believe the folk tales that they say, yeah. that they're bad. But we never actually see some of the things they they yeah. they say are really terrible. Yeah, yeah. So, so... So again, it's it's about it's about a choice. Like it's it's about finding your own path. Like um, in our case, Lucy comes across as well. We don't like her in the beginning, but she comes across as like a very typical American. You know, she's she's white. She's white privileged. She's got that going for her. She's obviously comes from a wealthy family. She's entrenched in social media. She she's very young. So all these things in her character um, make her. A certain thing that we can we can sort of label that because it's a film. So right away we can label her right. and say, okay, this character is X Y Z. We don't like about her, um, but we could also call her in the eyes of Abel Baden and the vicar and all that. We call her very innocent. Like she's she, what's the worst thing she does? She probably says, oh gosh darn. Right. That's like the worst thing she does. She's like squeaky clean, right? There's actually a moment where she almost says the word shit, but she stops herself. Right, exactly. No one, no one asked her to, she just stops. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, so, so again, it's part of her journey. Like they're trying to get her to embrace her family's history, embrace the, the, uh, the, um, Part, this part of the, this regional history come over to this dark side all this stuff that's happening this is in your bloodline we've already told you you know shed your inhibitions and just go with this trust me you're going to like it in the end that's what they're trying to do and she's fighting it the whole way in fact she fights it the whole movie because it's her morality is based on Christian morality right so that's that's the world she lives in and she's going to fight it to the very end to the very end of this movie, she's going to be like, I am not going to fall into you. In fact, the climax of the movie, she doesn't give into it. Or so you think. Right. So you think. And then a chain of events happens, and she does. And then, plot spoilers, it turns out all along, she was she really was that person. She just didn't know it about herself. Yet. Right, right. And she did, she did come over that so- side. And in fact... She's going to create a whole new generation and just follow the same thing. It's a perpetual cycle of this family history and, and all they do. So, uh, what well, I thought it was interesting also that um, while the, the sort of unholy trinity, we'll call them, is constantly trying to pull her into, yes, to follow her lineage of being um, basically a hedonist, basically yeah. doing following this idea that this is the only world you have and you should do whatever you want to give in to your inhibitions. And, yeah. you know, Lucy comes, from my perspective, Lucy comes from a place where she's very she's very uncultured. Yeah. Right. As many, many people living in modern America are. She's obsessed with social media. She doesn't seem to really have her own morals that she's earned. They're just what she knows to do. Mm-hmm. She doesn't seem to really have much respect for history mm-hmm. or for different cultures. Again, much like most current Americans. Yep. And even though they are trying to get her to follow their way of thinking, yep. she does in the most appropriate way, which is she rebels against them. Yeah. She gets to that place. Yeah. But in her own way. Right. Right. Exactly. Much like they must have rebelled against, you know, if, if, within the mythology of this movie, God, right? Yeah. She rebels against the anti gods. Exactly. She and, does. And she forms her own path. She's, she the, she's the Lucifer to them. Exactly. As they were the Lucifer to the Christian gods. Exactly right. She's the Lucifer to them. Yep. Now, like, the idea of, of your true nature, um, like, for you, why was that 
such an important theme in this. I mean, obviously you've touched on your drawing from the Eastern religion that you're around and you're drawing from your Catholicism, but like from a personal level, yeah, is that something that, like where does your personal, obviously like everything's turned up to 11 in a movie and yeah. it is a horror movie, so there's some morality in there. Yeah. But for you personally as like a director, yeah. how much of that personal philosophy gets pour, pour, like poured into it? Well, I mean, like I said, I've been a rebel since, as far as I can remember. I mean, I remember... Um, again, embrace your true nature. So my true nature, you know, I was, I was in the seminary to be a Catholic priest. We were to take three orders, which was chastity, obedience, and poverty. When I found out that... You got one of those. <laughs> when, well, yeah. when I found out that uh, they weren't doing that, I left. You know, I rebelled against it. Then when I got in the working force, um, I had several really good job opportunities, and they all said, you got to cut your hair. you got to wear a suit. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be freelance. Um, and, you know, believe it or not, um, the things I wanted to do in the priesthood uh, are very similar to what I want to achieve as a filmmaker. Mm. So that was like a natural progression for me to go, you just take the cross away, but all the, all the, all the things behind it are still the same. So for me, yes. My true nature is getting stories out there, um, uh, hopefully universally helping people in some small little way, telling them a story, making them feel entertained, giving, throwing some a little uh, version of, of morality play in there, what have you. So, so yes, that's what this movie is. You know... Um, We've talked many times about how, as an independent filmmaker, no one's going to give you a chance. Right. No one's going to come with you and say, here's $10 million if you don't have any experience. So me and Dan started a company. I wrote a script. We shot a movie. Shot another movie. You know, that's just like I am rebelling against the Hollywood system. Right. Because the Hollywood system, like all other institutions, doesn't give a shit about me. I have to prove right. myself first. Um and I wasn't born privileged into that specific uh, uh, pr profession, so I got to do it myself. Uh, but my whole life, people have told me I have tattoos. I'm from the South, you know, like rebel, rebel, rebel. Like I, I, I don't like to conform. I hate authority figures. Um, and the older I get, and the more I have been a uh, able to create a career by myself. And not necessarily work inside the box, not not live inside the box. I do have to work inside the box, but um, you know that's what I've been doing. So so yeah, making this film itself is is me going towards my true nature, like you were saying. Follow your path. Um, I've done producing for decades. I've done acting, but if I want to be a director, then I have to follow that sort of. I have to right. be like a moth going towards that light, because that light's not going to come towards me. No one's going to give me that, you know. So I need to focus my energy towards that goal. Incantation was a big part of that, opening those doors. Um, Shark Island, the next one is another part of that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like, like you said, um, and, and a lot of very famous and successful people say this all the time. And it, it sounds cliche as when you're sitting when you're sitting on your couch and you know you're not doing anything and you're not motivated. But all they say is keep going, you know? Yeah. Like follow your dreams. You hear that when people get Oscars, just follow your dreams, you can do it. And you're right. like, No, you can't. I'm I'm watching Netflix and I'm, you know, five pounds overweight. And you're like, That's not true. Like 
you can do you can do whatever you want. You just have to apply yourself and keep going towards that. Right. Because no one's gonna do it for you. There's a there's two phrases that I I've sort of taken to heart personally. And one of them is from a, a, sort of a magician philosopher Damien Eccles that says where intention goes, energy flows. Mm, yeah. And there's another one. I don't recall where I heard it, but I've, I've used it for years, which is um, movement begets movement. Yes. And and a lot of times when I find myself stuck, when yeah. I find myself, like you, like in your example, on the couch rather than doing stuff. Yep. And certainly when I when I see it in others, it's like you just have to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Just do That's that, a, that next thing yeah. and that leads to that next thing and that yeah. leads to that next thing and that leads to that next thing and on and on and on. I mean I think yeah. I, I can certainly point to my career as that. I'm sure you can point to your career as that. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because in this film there's so many parallels that can be drawn. Obviously there's uh, the religious aspect of it and the philosophical aspect of it. But but to your point, yeah. it feels a little bit like you're Lucy in some ways mm, yeah. in that you're rebelling against all conventions. Yeah. The conventions of, um, you know, the, the, the vicar, the vicar mm-hmm. has a very, you know, for, for a guy who's, who believes in a philosophy of hedonism, he's got a lot of rules. <laughs> yeah, he sure does. You know, which often <laughs> happens, right? Yeah. And then of course she seems like she's also kind of rebelling against her mother and she's, yeah. every time she talks about her mother, she's got sort of like a, a little bit of a negative connotation to yeah. it. Like she's trying to branch out from without it. And it feels yeah. like uh, for young artists yeah. who who watch something like this and they can see the what you have to do is create your own path. Yeah. Don't listen to this side and don't listen to that side. Right. At each institution will eventually, along, uh, along a long enough timeline, yeah. will create their own rule set that will just d- design to control you right. rather than you allowing your own morality to drive you and drive your passion, drive you towards your wilt, as yeah. Crowley would say. Yeah. Um, what, um, what from your experience in the seminary... Mm-hmm. Or maybe just your research did you draw from to create the rituals by which these philosophies come to life in this movie? Because they're not just sort of waxing poetic, although Abel kind of does. Yeah. But, like, there's actually some tools that they employ to get to this point. Like, oh, what? Lord. where did you uh, – where did, did you – is this – personal experience is this draw from your uh hours and hours of research like where did you kind of get all this from all of the above i i'll i'll just go through some of the uh symbolism stuff so uh there there's so much i mean every three seconds in this film you turn around and there's something in there that i've that i've put in there but a lot of it is catholicism in its reverse right so there's a thing called a black mass which is obviously like the high Easter mass in reverse. Uh-huh. So there's the black mass. Um, so there's all that, let's call it Catholic mythology and symbolism, right? In the in the fir- one of the first scenes you see her driving, and there's all these statues of the saints, but some of them yep. are beheaded and they're all crumbled. So you know you're like chopping down the church, um, kind of thing. Um, so I took all those things. I, I there's some Bible verses in there that are perfect. Like when they're in the cemetery, we go to Psalm 23. Four to five, which everyone knows this part. Like, nay, though I work, walk in the shadow of death, you'll protect me. But then you know what the very next line is? You have set a table for me with my enemies. Mm. So no one, no one quotes that part of the Bible, right, which right, is right. cool. It's it's trying to say it's trying to say God, you've protected me, even though I'm with my enemies. But I, I, in the way I put it in my movie, the vicar's looking at Lucy, and they're 
making eye to eye contact and she, he's like though I set a table right here with my enemies like game on basically right right, right. so kind of reminds me a little bit of Daniel and the Lions as well yeah yeah totally so taking these cool all this stuff that is in my beautiful mind and kind of twisting it and taking it out of context and making it my own was awesome um uh, there's a lot of uh, witchcraft and pagan stuff in there. You got mortal and pester, pestles. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of feathers, both yep. in the bed and in in the ritual scenes, like um, you know feathers, white, gray, and black. The your angel is protecting you. Um, it's a change is coming. So Lucy's change is coming, or your personal change is coming. All that. Um, there's a there's a scene where, okay, so the vicar, again. And at the end of the film, you find out that these people, they don't exist as humans, right? right. So it's like, it's like Sixth Sense, where I see dead people. They're there, but no one else sees them unless you're intended to see them. They're there. They've always been there. Yeah. They've always... Exactly. Uh, they always will be there in some yeah. form. Yeah. Yes. They're exactly. More, they're more like um, um, structures of belief with intelligence yeah. than they are personified that's you know, bodies. Perfect way to put it. Exactly. So in the end, that's revealed in our film. But there's a scene where there's a car crash. It's one of the characters' uncles dies, and is there's like brain matter and teeth scattered all over because he went, goes through the windshield. And the vicar goes and he grabs some of his teeth and his hair. So that's not only witchcraft but also voodoo. Where you and even some Buddhists do this, where you get a per, personal piece of something. Uh-huh. Like in like in Buddhism, you use your fingernails and your hair to uh, on their on their big loikatong holiday to make amends to Earth. So you mm. send that out to sea and say sorry for fucking with you, Earth. My bad. Here's a piece of me, kind of thing. So there's all these religious things that use a piece of you. And then um, in witchcraft, there's a lot of. Um, Sorteglia, the name that we use, it means they used it for witches back in the day. That was like a brand, uh-huh. a branding, but a branding. <laughs> but um, it means those, yeah, those who cast lots, right? So it's basically they're intervening with fate. So in our scene, um, the vicar gets these teeth and this hair. He tells the the woman to the maid Mary to to prepare these, and then there's a scene towards the end where they're doing this big black mass, and they throw the teeth like dice. Right. So they're like, boom, cast the die, and they look at each other and they go, cool, she's she's down, like she you can't fight fate. Right. We just cast the die, and it's Seven Eleven, baby, we're good to go. You know that was kind of the theme there. So. Um, there's so many of those again uh, obviously the Catholic imagery when you walk in at the end in the chapel all the crucifixes are upside down the entire mm-hmm. stained glass of Jesus is, is upside down so we're reversing the world the world order if you will right. we're on the other side we're we're on the bottom. She goes through catacombs with skulls and stuff where we shot in the real catacombs in Paris. So you're going underground of your normal life. You got the above ground thing on the surface, which is everything we all see and we sort of uh, function in, for lack of a better word. And then we got the real world, which is the the underworld, the reverse world, which is where where they delve in. But again, it's it's their true nature. What do you do behind hidden doors? What what are you truly like? Right. You're on the other side of it. Did you um, did you read anything up about, about the like Goetia or Gracian magic? No, I didn't. So it's funny because you're tapping onto so many of these sort of common <laughs> themes. So there's um, uh, there's a in ceremonial magic there is you know various rituals and ideologies that you can sort of draw from. But the idea is that you tap into intelligences. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, oftentimes, they're they're referred to as angels or archangels, right? Mm-hmm. 
but there are aspects of yourself, but they're not just in your head. There are aspects of yourself, but there are also aspects of of the energy of the earth, right? Like um, uh, the chi, right? Mm-hmm. Some Eastern religions might, might refer to it as that, right? But there's an intelligence built into it, mm-hmm. much like your unholy trilogy, right? Their ideas, their their um, beliefs. There are parts of you, the parts of your subconscious, but they're also part of this greater world. It's all simultaneously, right? Mm-hmm. And people draw in, draw from angels to um, for various things, protect protection mm-hmm. or for prosperity or mm-hmm. whatever. You draw a different angel for yep. whatever your need is. On the flip side, um, there is a form of magic where if if you were to believe that those intelligences that you're drawing from are kind of in the in the greater world. Mm-hmm. The Goetia is you draw from things in the subterranean world, oh, which cool. is simultaneously, um, some people would call them demons, right? It's often been th- thought yeah. of as like summoning demons, but yeah. they're, they're dark parts of yourself. Yep. You know, I like right. to refer to it as the id. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're, if you're going deep, 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 deep inside of yourself to your very primordial programming mm-hmm. and you're to invoke those yeah. in order to get mastery of them. Right. So, for example, um, you know, a theme in your movie is characters being lustful. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, the backstory is sort of based in lust. Mm-hmm. It's insinuated that the vicar rapes Lucy. Mm-hmm. Um, Lucy rapes JD. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on and on and on. There's mm-hmm. just like the, the the sexual tension. Yeah. Between so, sex is just a, a an urge. Yeah. And it can either be good, you can have a loving, committed relationship, it can bond two people together and raise you to a spiritual level, or you could let it control your life. It can be a burden, it can be a shackle, yeah. right? Right, exactly. In the, the tarot cards, there's a card, the, the devil card, that people get real scared about, but what it, it really refers to is addictions. Yeah. It's it's the uh, devil creature with uh, basically an Adam and Eve yeah. with uh, chains around their neck. Yeah. But they're pretty loose. Yeah. Which indicate that you can take you can take them off if you, you really want to. You can take them off if you really to. wanted to, right? Yeah, exactly. And so it feels like we, especially when you start to get in the third act and you start to literally go underground, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And and she's interacting with these um, these three characters who have since shed the veneer of being just people, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like she's going down yeah. into her subconscious, into her id, exactly. into the Goetia to battle these these parts of herself. And exactly. then maybe you could, you could even imagine them that they've always been a part of herself. And it's just that the castle and this world yeah. brought them out to, for her to confront. 100%. Yeah, yeah. See, didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's, uh, it's, it's part of her. And again, it's part of us all. Right. That's the whole point. You know, like, like again, it's a movie. So we got... Turned up a little bit. <laughs> we got 90 minutes to... Tell tell the story and and put all those things on a screen for people to understand the, all these concepts. But yes, that's exactly right. Like it's it's, and it it feels like these concepts have oftentimes been misunderstood and been called evil or wicked. Right? Yeah. When you when you start to introduce an idea or a philosophy that hey, um, don't follow the rules set for you. Create your own rules. Yeah. And you were talking about in Buddhism, like it's not technically wrong to murder someone. Right. But. It will come back to you. Yeah. And that it's just like the idea that like for every action is an equal and opposite yeah. reaction. Exactly. Right? So so live your life accordingly. And I have always found that when people live their life understanding that, yeah. they find their own morality and they're yeah. generally really fine people. It's people yeah. who it's people who who believe 
in the structures. Let's just use, uh, for example, Christian morality, right? Yes. The most truly wicked people that I've ever met yeah. follow those philosophies, but only as it serves them. Yeah. Right? They believe everyone else needs to follow them. They just want to be the exception. Yeah. They don't actually have their own moral code. They, yeah. they still believe in all these puritanical beliefs, but... Yeah. Only as it serves them. That, to me, yeah. always leads to the most wicked people, not people who create their own morality. Because there's a certain common sense aspect of it. Yeah. We are beings of the world, and we understand that, like, if you believe murder is okay, then you're opening yourself to be murdered. And no yeah. one wants that, generally. Right. So Exactly. That, right. We call that the smorgasbord of uh, morality, you know. It's right. like, uh, I'll take one of these and one of those, but, you know, that doesn't really apply to me. I'm, I'm kind of cool with that. Um, yeah, I find that... I mean, people always say, you hear people say, especially nowadays, I'm, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, you know? Yeah. Like they hate the institution of religion. And, and obviously the reason of that is because when you get humans together, like, we don't know how to, and, 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 and you give somebody authority, whoever it is, whether that's government or religion or, or schools or what have you, um, they feel the need to start implementing their rules. And those inevitably get complicated, right? Yeah, just look at Twitter. Yeah, Perfect <laughs> just look at Twitter. And then you have a hundred rules and some of them are archaic and they don't even make sense anymore. Like why don't Catholics eat fish on Friday? Why right. don't Muslims eat pork? You know, like these things have had a reason. They made sense back in the day, but now they're steadfast rules and these rules keep getting complicated and complicated. And I guarantee you if Lucifer in the flesh was right here right now with, with his demons and they had a little potluck gathering about the church <laughs> of Satan, they start creating rules that didn't make fucking sense of them. And they'd right. be like... You know, no fucking uh, ambrosia by females on Thursdays. That's a rule. Like, we can't do that, you know? And then it just compounds and compounds and compounds. Well, that, that's why I always found the irony is that the vicar constantly has all these rules. <laughs> he does, yeah. He's been in power long enough that yeah. he's become the very well, thing. That's, that's the thing, yeah. Yeah, that he probably rebelled against in the beginning. Exactly. And, so. and you can see that Abel being the young, you know, at least from a... Yeah, I don't know what the age difference between you and Dean actually uh, he is. He looks way younger than he me. Looks, so. He looks quite young. He's held up well. <laughs> he is the devil. He's, he doesn't age. <laughs> yeah, he's sacrificing people on Fox News. But, um, but, like, but like, from an appearance standpoint, he appears to be the younger. Yeah. And so he's still a lot more rebellious, whereas yeah. given enough time frame, yeah. the vicar just started implementing the same kind of rules that probably yeah. he faced. Exactly right. Is, is, is the vicar the, 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 the guy who impregnated the nun? Is that... Kind of what yeah. it's inferred. Oh or? yeah. So oh yeah. There's a, a little piece of that I left out too. So yeah. So because they're cross generational and they never go away, he is the guy. Right. He was the guy. Yeah. Incarnate at one point. On top of that, so here's some crazy stuff that you hear in the dialogue where uh, there's these du these double things, like you were saying, incest, right? So there's one uh, where Lucy's a little girl and she's being read to by her mom from the Sortilegia book, and he says, you know, he's talking about how. Um, Again, this he calls them the father, brother, or brother, son. There's like these hyphenated yeah. things because there was incest going on. In our story, in addition to that backstory, um, she keeps asking who this little girl is. Because you see this little girl in the whole movie and she right. disappears. It's this ghost girl. She's bloody. She's bloody because she was aborted. That's the whole thing. She's the incarnation of this baby girl that was killed mm -hmm. so that's essentially lucy's great 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 grandmother um so at one point vicar they're sitting in an office and lucy's you know it's right before the climax and lucy's like i've had enough you know she's rebelling against these people and she's saying 
I'm going to protect that girl. Who's that little girl? Leave her, leave her out of this. And he says, he says, she's your daughter. Yeah, she's my daughter, Lucy, and, and so are you. So, right. So how is Lucy his daughter? His Lucy's his daughter because that's her grandmother. So it's like a generational thing. So yes. I also found that she, the little girl who sort of haunts throughout the movie, yeah. she's got a duality to her. Whereas yeah. like in some scenes, she seems quite innocent. Yeah. And in other scenes, she seems quite dark. Yeah. And she does seem to be sort of leading Lucy, Lucy in yeah. some ways. Yeah. But also, she just sort of seems to be existing around her. Yeah. It's like it's a kernel of... Um, you know, because because again, it's it's sort of a matter of in my, from my perspective, like it's a matter of point of view. Yeah. Is she is she um, bound by sin because she was aborted or killed as a baby? They don't. Really, I don't know if they really say, but like, or is or is she just innocent because she was a baby? Right. Yeah. Like, what what is her? Yeah. Real nature. It right. depends on your point of view on yeah. how you're viewing her, right? Yeah. And she she has two. In the beginning, she's kind of used as. Uh, the fishing lure to get Lucy to to go down these dark hallways and come see this, find this, find this book, find these rituals. She's constantly chasing her. She's a MacGuffin, if you will. She's constantly right. like, okay, what's going to get Lucy to go inquire about this next thing? Right? She's, she she sees her per, per, peripherally. She has a vision of her in a bar. She keeps she has a nightmare about her. And she sees her in the cemetery. She's constantly chasing this girl. That's that's her. Uh, for for script purposes, that's her that's her purpose is to lead her down the the path. But um, as the more Lucy finds out about her her family and her past, it's it's about tying her tying her into this. So essentially, if this woman is her great 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 grandmother, however many generations. Um, so there's one scene where Lucy's going down these hallways and she finds this little girl's bedroom. And everything's old and decayed in there. There's all right. these old dresses and old teddy bears and all little girl stuff. But it's like super old and creepy, which means it had to be from generations ago. Right. Untouched. Untouched. But yet this little girl's running around everywhere. And she just she was toying with her just recently. You heard her footsteps and her giggles and stuff. Um, but when she goes in that room, she pulls up. There's some paintings in that room. And she pulls up some of the past. You see, you see the... Um, the vicar and the maid on fire at the at the pyre. Right. But it's really brief, you know. Like if you don't know that, if you're not listening to this podcast, you don't know that brought that. You don't know that backstory because I wasn't there to tell you that. Right. So it's right. a little seedling in there. Um, but but all these things. So she's connecting to uh, her grandmother, her family, her family's tradition, the historical aspect, of her personal his- history of all that stuff. So um, so. And then at the at the culmination in the Black Mass, the idea is they keep telling her it's it's a concept. They keep telling her you just have to kill the first one. There's she's an innocent girl. She's she's innocence. Right. They're they're like and Lucy's like I can't kill another human. I can't kill this little girl. And they basically keep saying try it. You'll fucking love it. And then you'll want to do it from there. Kill the first one. You'll you'll crave it. It's the gateway drug. It's the gateway drug. Yeah, it's the gateway drug. And she's like, but she's a little girl, you know. She's like conflicted because it's this beautiful, innocent little girl that she's. They're trying to tell her to, to to sacrifice human sacrifice, and she's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And the vicar keeps going. Uh, uh, Abel Baden says, 
she's your sister. She's your sister in all this. You got to bind with your sister. And she, and Lucy even says she's not my sister. Like she can't comprehend how is she my sister? But she is her right. sister. She is her sister because they're, they're family. They're in family. Sense. Yeah, in a sense. So so she goes from being that little fishing lure, I guess, to to um, being the symbol of of innocence that Lucy has to overcome to to find out her true nature. So she has to she has to overcome that barrier. Right, and I think I think like um, for me when I was watching it, I the the term leap of faith, ironically as it may be, yeah, kept sort of ringing in my head. Yeah, totally. Whereas like you know in traditional or like a, let's say mainstream religions, for example, yeah, you always hear like you must just have faith. Yeah, just have faith. Yeah. Just take that leap. That's right. It. For a lot of people, that's a very difficult concept. Yeah. To just believe, right? Right. Conversely, when you turn everything upside down, yeah, it's like give in to an impulse. Yeah, we've all had that that impulse where, for example, we're driving down the road and we think for just a brief second, like, what if I just turned the wheel hard? Yeah, what if I just turned it into that wall? What if I just went over that bridge? Yeah. Right, even if it's just for a half second. Yeah, um, and we never do it because we never take that leap, right? Because yeah. there's actually world world ramifications for that. Right. I thought I always kind of felt like in the same way. It's like if she just takes that leap, if she just takes that faith, if she just plunges yeah. that dagger in yeah. and she feels what it feels like to have that kind of control, that kind of power, yeah. the literally the power to, to take life away. You know, yeah. you're, you're here, your parents be like, I gave you life, I can take it away. Yeah, exactly. It's very similar to that. And, and ironically, because yeah. her sort of turn to the... Um, uh, you can, let's call it the dark side. Mm-hmm. Although, again, I think that's from a certain perspective. Yeah, yeah, right. Her turn to the dark side is taking away life. Yeah. And then it's insinuated at the end of the movie, spoilers, that she's about to give life. Yes. Which is funny because that's the opposite of what you hear parents say. I gave you life. I can take it away. <laughs> yeah. She's more like, I took away life. Yeah. I can also provide it. That's right. She comes, she sort of becomes a dark god in a sense. She does, yeah. Which is very cool. Very cool concepts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I really, I really want to talk about the themes of this because... I feel like um, you know it, the reality of the, of life is that that movies get buried under the rubble of other movies all the time, and, and especially within the world of horror movies, yep. especially movies that deal with themes like this. To me, and I know we've talked about this before. This drew. Yeah. This is sort of would fit really nicely on the shelf next to some of the old Hammer films. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, you know, Roman Polanski. <laughs> right. You know. Huge that, influence. Yeah. Like, uh, you can see it. You can feel yeah. it. There are themes within yeah. this sort of occultist vibe and this occultist yeah. sort of backdrop that are a little bit deeper than just bad witches are evil. Right. American is good. Yeah. Fight to the end. Yeah. Oh, there's a twist. There's a, there's a lot more to that. Yeah. And I thought that uh, it was definitely worth spending an hour to highlight some of those those themes which i think are really fascinating the, I, i'm glad you did and it's funny too because like you know when i when i was getting uh film critiques from people like i always told them tell me good bad or ugly like i'm okay i'm, I'm okay I, I don't i don't need a fluff piece of me saying this is the greatest thing ever um and clearly we were limited with resources and all that so sure. there's gonna be a lot of bad stuff as far as how much money and time we had but I never respected someone who just did that on the surface and was like, oh, this is a cliche, you know, blah, 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 mob versus Frankenstein movie. But the people that really watched it and paid attention would say would bring out all these themes and concepts. And I would be like, cool, that's awesome. I didn't have the money to make this a huge 
movie the way I would want it to, but those those themes and concepts that was the whole point of telling the story did come across to people who were paying attention. Right. And, and they, they don't really... You don't necessarily need a ton of money to provide a message. Right. Exactly. To provide themes. That's in the writing. Yeah. Which right. you also wrote. Yeah. You know, and... Um, and I, I feel, frankly, without focusing on any limitations in terms of what you had, I'm sure you would have loved more crane shots or light, <laughs> night shots or yeah. whatever, or actors that, you know. Right. But, but, um. That didn't speak with fake French accents. Yeah, which is ironic because <laughs> they're real, real French, French people. <laughs> yeah. But I thought that you tapped into, and this is, this is to me like a, the hallmark of really good indie filmmaking for people who are struggling with what to write about. And I hate, I hate when I hear, and look, whatever, if you're into it, that's fine. But I hate when I hear people say, I want to make a movie. I'm going to do horror because it's cheap and yeah. it'll get me noticed. And it's like, well, that's also the recipe for a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, that is. <laughs> you know, what you, it feels like you drew from your life. Like your yeah. life is on the screen. Oh, yeah. And of course, you know, there's, it, like you said, things are used, cliches are used to tell a message and to yeah. tell a tale that people are familiar with. Yeah. Um, that's but I, on the surface. That's you, on the surface. Just but to I, get them to that point quickly, and right. then it gets deeper as you go. Yeah, exactly. I feel like the real message subverts that expectation. Yeah. And again, you could certainly view it on the surface as like, right. you know, the bad guys are the, the evil right. ghost people, and the good girl is the one in pink. But I think that it's a little <laughs> yeah. bit more complex than that. Yeah. And I feel like it's a little bit more open to your interpretation. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, do you, if you got a little bit more time, want to go take a couple of audience questions? Oh, let's do it. That'd be great. Cool. Questions from Macarette. Abraham666 asks, do you feel that in the age of technology and science that supernatural films still work? I think they can. I think um, it's what we were just talking about. Story is good. Lo-fi is your friend. We just saw... We went to see a movie called... What was that movie we saw at the drive-in? Relic. Relic. Okay, Relic. And I, I read an article about it after the fact. I had never heard of it yeah, me prior to, this, to, to us going seeing it with our friend Justin. But um, I, while I was watching it, when the sound wasn't aliens... <laughs> I'm constantly plagued by Skynet and technical problems. Yes. But when it wasn't that, it really struck me... Of how they were creating. Okay, so the movie's about this three generations of women that live in this house with dementia. What dementia coming through their family? It's a hereditary thing, right? And, and the filmmakers in that movie were able to create this sense of dementia. And there's nothing crazy. There's no big right. effects in there. There's no CGI. I mean, there might be some, but there's not. There's nothing crazy. It's just the way they shot it. It's the way the production designer designed that one particular space. And, and and the way they lit it and I and I read a really good article about this afterwards of how they all sort of put their brains together and came up with this idea but my point is um, that thing is super lo-fi yeah you know and it it works tremendously like you get it right away um, so I think as far as thrillers are concerned that yes there could be great movies that are uh that are awesome and done on indie and low budget. But if you're talking, you know, the when you say sci-fi, if you're talking like aliens and spaceships and CG and lasers and all that stuff, that's going to be hard to do um, uh, We're on a budget. On a budget. But I think also, like, we, we get 
I, I think there's an idea behind people that like in the age of of technology and science that like older stories can't exist. Right. Like these old fables don't work anymore. We've seen them all. Right. We've seen The Exorcist. We've seen Rosemary's yeah. Baby. We've seen The Omen. But um, I don't think, and then this is one of the reasons, again, not just to blow smoke, but like why I think your film works so well, is I think a lot of the themes are still very relevant today. Yeah. You know, uh, again, I, I've made, I made the joke about Twitter earlier, but we've seen where like <laughs> within the world of social media, there are new norms being created. Yeah. There are new moralities being made and, um, and enforced. Yeah. In ways that you may or may not have signed up for. Right. That um, you have no say in. Yeah. It's just the the townspeople have gathered together uh-huh. and they've determined that you're a witch. Yeah. And they're going to hunt you. And look, and, and look yep. that can be empowering to certain people who have no power. Right. Right? Those who have no other means of enacting justice. Yeah. You know, uh, social banding together to call out an abuser, for example, is yeah. is maybe the only thing that they have. Right. So I, I don't want, I don't mean to demean that aspect of it, but you've also seen where it goes off the rails. Yeah. And you've seen where it gets abused. Yeah. And like in the themes of your movie, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the town where this whole story starts. Yeah. Is a man and a woman yeah. falling in love. And having sex. Yep. And unfortunately, because they were part of some sort of order that said that that was wrong, yep. that they were they did something that yep. they probably didn't want to do. Right. And it starts a path of yep. darkness. Yep. Um, on a long enough timeline, the vicar starts creating his own morals and his own norms and his own rules and structure. Yep. That then Lucy, who... We didn't talk about this, but obviously I, w- I would assume that Lucy is at least uh, an analogy for Lucifer yeah. on some level, right? <laughs> yeah. She starts to rebel again, and then the system repeats, right? Yeah. I think in modern, especially when it relates to social media, yep. which is really becoming our own church, the modern-day church, right? Yeah. I think that movies like this and movies that, that use the supernatural to um, as sort of the blueprint or the, the covering for their, their morality tales yep. can draw a lot, of, a lot of parallels with what's going on today. Yeah, absolutely. And especially as it relates to... What our morals are, how we enforce them, how we form ourselves. Do we have control <laughs> right. over our own morality? Do we have free uh, – are we free thinkers? Are we free right. men, so to speak? Right. Or are we just caught in a new uh, a new puritanical, you know, enforcement of rules? Yeah. That's what it certainly feels like sometimes. It definitely does. And <laughs> I, so I guess it comes down to, like, again – Story. Story. You know? 100%. If you have a good story, if you have a good message, especially within the realm of horror, there seems to be this whole movement of people who are like bemoan. um, And I get why. Like certain writers will say elevated horror or um, uh, art house horror, (laughs) you know? As though like like there's a – it's a caste system of horror. (laughs) Right. And I really think what it comes down to is there's horror that has a message that aims to really – put the quality of what we call fine filmmaking yeah I'm using air quotes on the radio <laughs> fine filmmaking behind their story to 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 try to tell their story to try to convey their message in a symbolic and metaphorical way yeah um, that's not just like bad guy puts on a mask and he hacks up a bunch of chicks you yeah know? yeah exactly and I think that that's that's that is how it's relevant like yeah. you have to use your and, and again to your point like if you're 
in the low budge world, yeah, don't go crazy with the FX and the aliens and all that stuff. Yeah. Even if yeah. maybe your message could be served by those images, you're just not going to be able to do it. Yeah, it's just going to bring down the, your message because your production value is bad. Right, and no one will hear it. So keep it simple. Keep so. it simple, stupid. <laughs> yeah. All right, I didn't want to say that. <laughs> I'll say it. Next question. <laughs> From Eccles and the Bunnymen, what is something in horror that you would like to see more of thematically? Oh, well, this plays right into my film I, I like to see more female heroes like yeah. I, I mean I, I know we got the last girl and that's sort of an established thing but I would rather see you know I want the I want the um, uh, you know Ripley and Aliens I want I want the hero to be a female I want the the, the protagonist to be a female um, not just and not just because she's female, because of her gender. Like, if we're talking about equality amongst everything, you know, let's put a let's put a black woman or a black trans woman as a hero of a fucking horror film. Yeah. And not ever bring that up. Like, why does that have to be the the reason? You know that she's the hero. Well, um, and and a lot of the like the, the idea behind the final girl is oftentimes not in every instance certainly, but but like an oftentimes. I'll give you a great example. Halloween, the original, and Halloween, the most recent one, yeah, is the difference between a final girl and a and a female. I'm not going to use the strong female because that gets overused, but a, a a perfectly round, fully fleshed out female protagonist, mm-hmm. and they're played by the same actress, right? And it's the same world, <laughs> right? Right. But one, she's sort of a passive protagonist yeah. who's just going along with the circumstances around her. She's got to survive. Her yeah. whole trait yeah. is to just not die, right? Versus, or or we could look at Terminator Two. Same thing. Terminator yeah. and Terminator Two. That's another great example. Linda Hamilton yep. goes from being a final girl to being an actual protagonist. She goes and, from basically being a, a sperm receptacle. Like her whole point in the first one is just to get pregnant. Right. Yeah. The first one is be pregnant and, and have the baby and don't die. <laughs> She's a waitress that gets pregnant. That's it. Right. And versus in Terminator Two, or like if we look at the most recent Halloween, like. Those characters evolve from just surviving, just existing, yeah. mostly for the sake of uh, for the need of other men, right? Yeah. To being proactive protagonists who are moving yeah. the story along, who are yeah. pushing it along, and I think that um, you know, oftentimes when we try to implement diversity, we do so just to check a box. Right. To your point, yeah, uh, and not because. We believe that those characters can right. that those that, that 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 demographic or that person can drive a story right. the same as anyone else. To your point, like God. if we if we cast a black trans person in a story, yeah, it, it there's nothing inherently wrong with. Bring, I mean, you don't want to ignore right the aspects yeah, you don't of what, ignore, yeah. yeah they want to ignore the aspects of what make up them right because what makes up them is going to sure. be different than makes up someone else for sure. But it shouldn't be so token. It should be because. Yeah. All types of people can lead stories. Yes, not just people that yeah. look a certain way. Yeah, and that's my that's my problem with Hollywood currently. It's there's they they want to check the box so bad that they're not looking at uh, the meaning behind it. They're just like, okay, put a black woman in there, put put a trans person in there. Um, but when it comes to making these stories relevant to those specific people or those groups of people, they're totally blind to that. Like it's it's. 
it really sucks uh, because I think they're missing the point overall. It's just some execs going, okay, we need this person in there. Well, it's because here, here's the dirty little secret about most neoliberalism is they don't give a fuck. Yeah, exactly. You they know, it's just to get everyone. It's just to <laughs> exist within the norms yeah. of the newly functional society. That's it's it. Not a, it's not a creation of their that's own it. morality. Yeah, that's it. Well, since we're talking about that, why don't we, you know, it would also be cool to have some really, uh, in, our, in our horror films, have some of our uh, villains be female. Like, yeah. what if Jason was a female? What if uh, yeah. the Phantasm guy was a female? Right. Like, that would be super sweet. And, and we've had moments. You mentioned Jason. The first, in the first movie, it is his mom. Yeah. But, but you're right. Like, the, yes. Yeah. And, and there's lots of interesting ways to do it. I guess the broader thing is, is can we tell... There are lots of stories that have not been told. Right. Even within the conventions of movies that we're used to. Yeah. So whether it's... Uh, you know, uh, I guess we could call it religious supernatural horror, <laughs> or we could call them uh, slashers, or whatever it may be. There are stories that we haven't told. Yeah, I think that you, for your movie, you used sort of the haunted mansion. Yeah trope yep. to tell a deeper story that maybe we haven't seen in a while. That was just to get you in the door. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that there are a lot of other stories and part of that is with diversity casting and diversity filmmaking. Yeah. You know? Let's Absolutely. Get, let's get some other voices behind the writing, behind the vision yes. of the story. Um, we it. can use these old conventions. Yeah. That they're still good. They still work. But mm-hmm. let's do it in fresh ways. And I thought, you know, to bring up Relic, that's yeah. another great example. That's yeah. basically a... a I guess it's a haunted house movie, yeah, kind of, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, but not right. And it's three women, and yeah. it's mostly just three women, yeah. And and the only other real character of note is their neighbor who's uh, got Down syndrome, yeah, right. Like a man with Down syndrome, exactly. You know? And the movie kind of exists really nicely in this bubble, and it, and they took something that people really deal with, yeah. And they use the conventions that we're familiar with, yeah. And it's impactful, yeah. I always find I feel like it just has a much deeper impact when you realize you got lured into something for popcorn and you came away with it maybe having a a deeper appreciation (laughs) for something that we tend to try to ignore in life yeah absolutely well jude thank you very much i always love having you on and talking with you and i'm glad that we got to highlight some of the themes of your movie i think um if you haven't seen the movie yet i know we did some spoilers and stuff but i don't think you're gonna it's not gonna take away from the movie you're gonna still enjoy it especially if you go into it with fresh eyes and really look for some of the deeper meanings behind the imagery and the story plot moments. Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me on. They can check out Incantation. I know it's on Amazon Prime and iTunes and a bunch of other stuff. So, And, of course, we have to mention Shark Island because Shark Island? the episode we did with you on Shark Island was one of our highest listened to. People it, dig sharks. I'll, t- I'll promise your uh, listeners that we're going to have a trailer to Shark Island very soon. Hopefully by the end of this month we'll have something out. Very cool. Well, the moment you have it... Send it to me. We'll put it up on Instagram and Facebook and all that jazz and get a little press for it. And, uh, you know, thanks again because I, I, there, there are not enough filmmakers who are getting the attention that they need who actually approach film from the perspective of artists. Awesome. You know, especially in the low indie world. And not like from the pretentious standpoint of right. people out of Chapman University who think that they're <laughs> like the next Spielberg. I mean, like yeah. people who put this level of thought and care yeah. to make their stories as flushed out as possible, regardless of the physical or monetary or time limitations, mm-hmm. and make great products for it. Great mm-hmm. make films. That's right. Ars Gratia Artist. So with that note, thank you once again for listening to the Grand House Podcast. We'll be back next week. And until then, adios. Thank you.
You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the Don't Deny Your True Nature Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud and now on Spotify. 